and appreciate the congregation singing and and participating in the scripture reading as well, the responsive reading. And that was a newer song there. I know that we probably uh, have not sung that before. That was the first time I've sung through that. And uh, hopefully it's one that we can sing again uh, down the road and learn together. And I thought it was apropos for uh, this afternoon and for our opportunity as believers to be a light and to be a salt. And uh, sadly, here in America, we are seeing so much of uh, the light of the gospel being uh, dimmed and, and darkened. And uh, we know that uh, the gospel marches on, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God, but it's sad that America is not uh, being the evangelistic light and salt uh, that it should be. We still support many missionaries, but there are missionaries coming off the field now, and the replacement rate uh, is, is not good. And uh, sadly, our current political administration is uh, trying to propagate the world with perversion and uh, for many years the United States led the world and I don't know what the statistics are now but I know that a ministry down in Puerto Rico is sending missionaries around the world I know that there are other uh, nations that have missionaries that have been there for many years and now they are sending missionaries out Uh, I hear from uh, Dr. Arrowwood from time to time and their Bible college, and then Dr. Kim and his Bible college, uh, they're sending uh, preachers out. And I just wonder uh, how long America is going to be uh, sending out missionaries. And it's just uh, it's disappointing to see that there's not the, uh, the people who are answering the call to go forth with the word of God. But we have a song for the nations. We have the truth of the word of God. So Psalm 66 is where we will be for just a few moments here. And There are several passages of scripture uh, that I thought would be very relevant at this weekend for uh, the uh, time in which we are at in our nation and where we are at in our calendar, but I wanted to draw our attention to this great psalm, Psalm 66, where we can come and see the works of God. Come and see the works of God. Very simple outline. As we go through this psalm very quickly here, we will see that, first of all, there is a congregational song of praise to God. Psalm 66, as we were reading just a few moments ago, we see, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praises glorious. Now, some of us are better at singing than others. Some of us, we only sing congregationally. Some of us may venture out into an ensemble or to a small group, maybe a duet. And then there are some who are bold enough and knowledgeable enough and have the ability to sing solos. I sing solos in the shower. I sing solos at the stoplights and when I'm mowing the yard, but I don't typically sing solos unless I'm by myself. But I love to sing. I love music. Music was always a part of our house growing up. We had music going all the time. Uh, I have a Spotify account. I have playlists. I'm listening to music. Uh, I'm listening to podcasts a lot. But I love good music. I love good Christian music. I'm thankful for the training that I had growing up. I'm thankful for Patch the Pirate, who I grew up on listening to. I'm thankful for a Bible college and a seminary that uh, helped me in knowing my convictions 
and knowing from the Word of God uh, where uh, my conviction should be regarding music. I know that music is a very powerful instrument, and I do not believe that music is all moral. I believe that it is very moral, and uh, I could go through various quotes, and we could go back through history and uh, read different uh, people, including unsaved people, who are very willing to say that music is not a moral. Unsaved people who we would recognize their names if I named them. And they have quotes. I have a book in front of me. I won't read the quotes, but I have a, a book here in front of me with quotes from unsaved people who speak to the power of music. And they are saying it is not all moral. Uh, we know what we're doing when we are singing and when we use certain sounds. But notice in Psalm 66, in verses 1 and 2, that the believer is commanded to make a joyful no noise and to sing forth the honor of his name. So there is a place for congregational singing. That's one of the joys I mean, from the very first time we visited Berean, way back in uh, November of 2021, I believe it was. Uh, we were uh, just impressed with the, the love for singing, the, the congregational singing, the sound of singing. Now, not all of us, again, are going to be great singers. We often joke around about making a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? Do we realize that the joyful noise, that phrase in the original language, it means a sound of triumph, a sound of joy. Now, some of our neighbors, as we're singing our joyful noise unto the Lord, we may not think of it as a shout for joy. But in the original language, a joyful noise was a shout of triumph, a, or a sound of triumph, a shout for joy. Now, you think about as a congregation, as we come and as we sing together, we are worshiping the Lord, but we are also instructing one another. As we sing as a congregation, we are, as we follow the outline of this psalm, we are singing about the future glory. We are singing about heaven. We are singing about all of the different doctrines of salvation that will have their full and final fulfillment in glory. We have the fulfillment of those soteriological doctrines in our salvation, yes, but there is that aspect of our salvation we talked about in Sunday school about being saved from the penalty of sin, being saved from the power of sin. That power of sin is broken, but there is eventually that time when we are saved from the presence of sin. And though the power of sin is broken, right now we find ourselves still committing sins, sins of omission and commission, but we will one day enter into the glories of heaven in our glorified body after the resurrection, and we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Is that not something to sing about? Does that not bring joy to our hearts and a sound of triumph? That victory is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ, as 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight reminds us, that death does not have the victory. The grave does not have the final sting. Oh, yes, there is pain. Yes, we understand the frailty of life right now, but we are singing and we are singing of future glory as a congregation. And we are thankful for the privilege and the opportunity. One of the things that 
makes us unique is that our platform is not a stage for musicians to perform. One of the things that we want to maintain as a distinction is that this is not a place of performance. This is a place where we are honoring God. He is ultimately our audience. And we are singing to him for his honor and for his glory. And yes, we come together corporately. And yes, there are times like the choir that sing a wonderful song this morning and the instrumental duet and various ways in which we have different groups, just the piano or a single instrument sung in the right way, played in the right way. It's ultimately about honoring God. It's not about appealing to my flesh. It's not about getting my groove on, or as some people would describe it um, in various other ways. It's not about me. It's not about my flesh. It's not about me performing. It's about me or whoever is up here singing or us together as a congregation joining our voices together in exaltation of our Savior, that he is high and lifted up, that the attention is pointed to him and not to ourselves, not for us to have some emotional fit, some emotional experience so that I can get the glory, that people will notice me. No, it's about the glory of the Lord. So we read in verse 1 that all the earth should praise him. And eventually, one day, all the earth will. Because we know from Philippians 2 and verse number 10 that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And we know that some that bow that day will only bow to him as Savior. And also as Lord, I should say. I'm not saying it right. We know that in that day, there will be some who will bow to him only as Lord, not as Savior. Excuse me, I didn't say it right. As believers, we will bow to him as Savior and Lord. For those who have gone into eternity unsaved, they will bow that day, but he will not be their Savior. They will finally one day recognize him as Lord and bow to him as Lord, but sadly it will be too late for them to receive him as their Savior. They rejected him in this life. So we sing a joyful noise, a sound of triumph, a shout for joy. And notice we see this word terrible here in verse 3. And then it is repeated also in verse number 5. We think of the word terrible as a bad connotation. In our modern vernacular, terrible means something bad, right? That was a, a terrible, we just had a wonderful meal. That was not a terrible meal. But we might go to a restaurant and have a terrible meal. We might have a, a steak that's not cooked right or something didn't, like when I was trying to grill steaks at, at my house. I, I've done better since then. I, I did them right the next time. But I, I had a terrible steak. had a terrible grilling experience when I, I, I burnt my steaks into charcoal. But that's not the way this word is used in this song. The word terrible means awesome. How awesome art thou in thy works. Notice how awesome God is. The emphasis is on how awesome God is in verse 3. Verse 5, come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the children of men. I know this is a little unusual, but let's take a little bit of response from the congregation. Give me a couple of awesome works or aspects of God. Somebody. 
Creation, there's an awesome example. Good. Yes, Sam. Church, yes. That's a wonderful, good example of the awesome works of God. Hank. Marriage, yes. What a blessing here on, on earth. Amen. Yes, Doug. What's that? Human life. Human life, yes. Oh, it's, and we don't respect it like we should. It is an awesome work of God. Very good point. Derek. Okay. <laughs> yeah, an act of God in the sense of a, a natural disaster even is a yes. And we know that God is using even those natural disasters in, in his creation in the sin-cursed earth, universe in which we live. He's trying to get the unsaved to turn to him in repentance and faith. And even through those trials, God is exalted. And even through the suffering, uh, we see God doing a great work, uh, great, great examples. So we sing together of future glory. We see the universe. We see the land. We see the earth all giving praise to God, the universe and the acts of God and the various awesome works of God. We see them in our own lives. We see them around and we See them as opportunities to praise, to shout for joy, to sing unto the Lord. But we also sing for previous faithfulness. I love how we see over and over in Scripture the example of the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea. We drop down to verse 5. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible or awesome in his doing toward the children of men. And look at the example in verse 6. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. So in the background of this psalm, we're not told exactly where the psalmist was writing from or exactly what time period, but it's likely that this is at a time when they have entered into the promised land. So they're making reference to the deliverance from Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. And then also possibly in verse number six, the flood is referencing the crossing of the Jordan River into the promised land. And we see those testimonies of God's faithfulness. Look at our lives. How many times can we point to a testimony in our life of God's faithfulness? I see it over and over as I look back through my life. I don't deserve any of those. But I see so many testimonies of God's faithfulness. And yet I fail him far too often. Why did God have the Israelites put memorial stones at the Jordan River? Why did he have them... So many times building altars and setting memorials because we're forgetful people. We need those reminders. And we have so many other distractions today. We remember all kinds of different things in our photos and we have photo albums. And I don't know about you, but at my mom's house, we have those little slides that you have to put in the slide machine. I need to eventually get those transferred into digital format. But we used to have those little slide machines where we would uh, slide projector, thank you. And it would turn on its little turnstile and we'd flash it up on the, on the wall. Great memories of me and my sister as little kids out on the beach uh, in California and just on and on. And my parents have uh, you know, memories from those. We have all those ways of remembering. Maybe you have a phone that reminds you on this day one year ago, five years ago, I have um, photos because I've transferred um, files from the church 
And so I'll have in my memories now, 19 years ago or however many years ago, uh, Berean Baptist Church, and they'll pop up on my memories. And then there's all my family uh, events. We have all those things, and we love those memories. What about the works of God in our life? We're singing. We're shouting for joy. There's a sound of triumph, of future glory, and of previous faithfulness. Have there been some Red Sea crossings, in a sense, in our life? Sure there have. Have there been some crossings of the Jordan in our life? Sure. There's trials. There's even some sufferings. There's even some chastenings that maybe come to our mind that are all part of God's faithfulness to us, that remind us of how good he has been. And we see even in these verses, like verse 7, he ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. He is sovereign over the affairs of the nations. We have to keep this in mind, don't we? It seems like at times that the political world and all the evil and perversion of it is winning. It seems at time that at times that the policies of our current administration are nothing but wicked and celebrations of all sorts of perversions. And it seems at times that those are what are winning, that that is where the victory is. But we know that that is not the case at all. As a matter of fact, as we just read, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. We read right there in the psalm, those who think that they are exalting themselves in their rebellion, let them learn real quick that their rebellion is nothing to be exalted about, nothing to exalt themselves about. Because we read, as I had Jerry, I appreciate Jerry and Derek reading from Psalm 9. We go back to Psalm 9, and we read in verse 17, as Jerry read a few moments ago, the wicked shall be turned into where? Hell. And all the nations that forget God. What do we have to remember as we see the wickedness of our culture and the wickedness of our political leaders? What do we have to remember? That the rebellious, they can try to exalt themselves. They can try to push God out, push God away, forget God. But they will be turned into hell. They will answer to God. That's nations. There's also us as individuals who have to be reminded of that. But we see our singing is not just for or about future glory, for and about previous faithfulness, deliverance, God's sovereignty, but also for continual perfection, protection, excuse me, verses 8 through 12. O bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us, as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net, thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads, who went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest out into a wealthy place. This is... Again, a reminder maybe of the wilderness wanderings coming out of Egypt and then going into the promised land and some of the consequences for their choices and their sins, some of the enemies they had to face. There are some, some commentators who believe this may have even been written post-exile. So after they returned to, the promise, or to, to Israel, to Palestine, after the Babylonian captivity. So then they could be reflecting on what happened in Babylon and the captivity and the destruction of Jerusalem and all of that. And they're saying God still preserved his people. 
God still protected his people and desires to continue to protect his people. He is going to preserve his remnant. He is going to preserve his people. We need to love him, be faithful to him. And we know that he is going to be faithful to his covenant and to his promises. Are these not good reasons to sing, to shout for joy, to make a sound of triumph? How many times can we see in our lives where God protected us, where God watched over us, where we see God's faithfulness in our lives in areas where we were sure to see some sort of catastrophic um, destruction or death or, or something that many times is of, is of our own making, of our own stupidity, and God protects us from our own stupidity. But how many times have we been in a, uh, an illness, a hospital, been in a place where there was a traffic accident and then we were stuck in the traffic jam. This happened to us not that long ago where uh, we were in a traffic jam and then later we find out about an accident just up the road and we are thankful that we waited or we were held up for five minutes at the cash register at the gas station and we were complaining because we wanted to get on the road or at least I was. I was in my mind saying, I don't want to get down. And then, sure enough, there's an accident further down the road. Sometimes uh, it's something that just happens, and we realize that if we had been at a certain place at a certain time, certain things could have happened. Uh, sometimes God just makes us aware of certain situations, and we get out of constantly God protecting us. We see it with our security team here. We are making common sense, trying to do reasonable protections, knowing that we are faced with certain threats in our world today, and we're thankful for our security team and the ministry mind. We're thankful that God gives certain men and women abilities in those areas to recognize certain things so that we can put certain protections into place. And God gives us uh, the mind and the reason and the common sense and the wisdom to follow through with those things. Many, many, many reasons to sing to the Lord. Many, many reasons to shout in triumph and to have a sound of triumph. And we can do that together as a congregation. But then there are individual songs of praise. Notice in verse 13, I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. This is something that I think is lost on us in 21st century Christianity. What did the Israelites, what did children of Israel, what did they have to do as part of their worship? Bloody sacrifices. They had to, as they were in the land of Palestine, three times a year they had to travel and they had to offer sacrifices. Many different ways in which God reminded them in the feasts of sacrifice, of first fruits, of the lamb without blemish, we have very little sacrifice sometimes in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. We whine and we gripe and we complain about all the inconveniences and all the struggles and, you know, we got to do this, we got to do that. But what do we really sacrifice in the 21st century in worship to our God? 
I didn't see anybody bringing the firstborn lamb today. Your firstborn, your, your, your chickens, your pigeons, your dogs, your goats, your pigs. I didn't see anybody bringing those today. <laughs> we had a hard time even probably clicking on our bank account or writing that check. We have a hard time even doing that, don't we? Our flesh gets in the way of even that kind of sacrifice. Yet we complain so much, oh, God asks so much of us, right? We have to be careful. We have, look at what they are saying here. Look at what the psalmist is writing. Praise and worship require sacrifice. He says, I made vows that I must keep. Burn offerings, verse 14, which my lips have uttered. Vows which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. What, what do we do when times of trouble? Oh, God, if you get me out of this, I will do this, 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 and this, Right? And what is the psalmist saying? When I was in trouble, I made this vow. I must fulfill it. And I must be careful when I make the vow that I will be willing to follow through with it. He says in verse 15, I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices. He talks about the fatlings, the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats. And then what's the word at the end of verse 15? Selah. Now, Jerry and I were talking, and I gave Jerry a, a tongue twister in Psalm 9. And down in verse 16, he had to pronounce a Hebrew word that had been translate, transliterated into English. Higion, or Hygion, how did you pronounce that, Jerry? Higion, Higion, that's the correct pronunciation from our resident Hebrew scholar here. Higion, and then Selah. What is Higion? It means meditation. And what does Selah mean? It means to pause, to reflect upon. So in Psalm 9 and verse 16, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executed. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditate on that for a minute. Pause and reflect upon that. In Psalm 66, in offering sacrifices, in the incense, Selah, pause and reflect upon that. Boy, we have a hard time pausing and reflecting upon much of anything. Our attention spans, our, our busyness, we want to go and we do and we have a hard time sitting still. I think sometimes, and I've seen this in my life, I've seen times where God allows me to be sick, to get sick, because he knows I need to sit down and be quiet and listen, and listen and be attentive to him. And maybe I'm not paying attention and I need to have to get sick in order for God to get me to pay attention, to sit still and to listen. But nevertheless, he mentions there in verse 15 the sacrifices and then pausing and reflecting upon that. And then... He closes with this. In our individual song of praise, there's vows, there are sacrifices, and then he talks about prayer. What do we speak about in our song of praise? We talk about answered prayer. Prayer that is answered sometimes no, sometimes yes, sometimes wait. In these individual times of prayer, we tell what God has done for us. We cry out to him, verse 17. And notice in verse 18, there's confession. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What is a husband warned of in the epistles? If he has bitterness against his wife, then God won't answer his prayers. As husbands, we got to watch out for that bitterness toward our own wives. She won't listen to me, and doesn't she know I'm the husband? Doesn't she know I'm the leader of this home? Doesn't she know? We get into that attitude, and we begin to have that kind of spirit. 
then we as husbands get ourselves in trouble and we, get, we develop bitterness and our prayers are hindered. If we are in unrepentant sin, one of the reasons we have communion, we have the Lord's table on a regular basis is because we need that time of circumspection where we examine ourselves. It's a special time to check our hearts. Verses 19 and 20, For verily God hath heard me, he hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. We are guilty of not being a praying people. I am guilty of not being a praying pastor like I should. I'm guilty of not being a praying Christian like I should. Prayer is like evangelism. We can always do more. We can always do better. And there are too many times where we're quick to, we're quick to click on Google, ask Siri, or whoever the other digital, now you can go to chat GPT, and you can ask AI, and AI will answer all of your questions. But we're quick to do that, right? We're quick to go to all the digital internet sources, but we neglect the greatest source of wisdom and knowledge, who desires us to come to him in prayer, who wants us to cry out to him. And that's where we're reminded again of our need for an individual song of praise to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this psalm that reminds us of our need to come together as a congregation in praise and worship and in prayer and our need individually, Lord, as well. To cry out to you, to bring our sacrifices, to keep our vows to you, to be willing to even make those vows and then to keep them. And Lord, to confess our sins and to exalt your name and to come in prayer, depending upon you. Thank you again for our time together as a church family. Pray you're blessed as we close out this service now in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek's going to come and uh, lead us in the closing hymn.